I believe God is here with us. Brother Tony and I have not talked about what I would be preaching. We did not coordinate. But today I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 10. I'll just go ahead and tell you what my topic is today. Today I want to preach to somebody about knowing where to look. In times of trouble, in times of sorrow, in times of questioning, you've got to know where to look. Because times will come when it looks like you're surrounded. Times will come when it looks like you're in trouble. When it looks like nothing is going like you thought it would. But you've got to know where to look in the middle of the storm. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. God speaking to the children of Israel in Babylon says this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Listen to this. He says, you will seek me and find me. Somebody say, find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Today, I want to preach to somebody today about knowing where to look. This doesn't happen to me often. I'm not spiritual enough, but I rolled out of bed yesterday morning and before my feet hit the floor, the Lord spoke to me. You've got to know where to look. You've got to know where to look. I, I didn't have to pray and study and seek the face of God. God was shouting it to me. As soon as I rolled out of bed, you've got to know where to look. If you're going to survive this, if you're going to make it through this, if you're going to come out stronger, if you're going to come out better, you've got to know where to look. If you're going to find God, you've got to know where to look. Can we lift our hands and pray in this place, Lord? God, we pray that your eternal will would settle down into this house today. God, that you would begin to minister to somebody's heart, minister to somebody's mind. God, I pray that you would speak to somebody living in a low place right now. In the name of Jesus, God, that you would begin to turn their fortunes and turn their heart to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated. We live in a search-oriented world. Can I get an Amen? People are looking for all sorts of information in all sorts of places. If you don't know something, what do you do? Google it. (laughs) If you don't know how to make a dish, guess what? Just Google it. Just, just search it up. Bing it. If Google doesn't have it, you can Bing it. Bing it doesn't have it, you can Yahoo it. Once upon a time, you could ask Jeeves. Even now, you can submit a question on Quora or ask for a recommendation on Facebook. Whatever it is that you're looking for today, you can find it. Can I get an amen? How many of you ever went to go fix your car and rather than going to a mechanic, you pulled up YouTube? <laughs> Don't do it. 
It's harder than it looks. But if you're looking for information, somebody say, you can find it. More than ever before, technology has made it easy to find what you are looking for. In fact, finding has become a big business. And it's not just information. If you are a chronic car key loser like I am, they make a GPS tag now that you can put on your keys. So guess what? Whenever you lose your, your, your car keys, you don't have to look like some kind of old school chump. You just pull out your phone and your keys will beep at you because they've got a way for you to find what you're looking for. Can I get an amen? You might want to put them on your children or your spouse if you're too scatterbrained. They've got GPS tags for your keys. They've got LoJack for your car so that when someone takes it, it can be found. They have Find My iPhone for when you lose your phone. Anybody ever use Find My iPhone or Find My Device, Find My iPad? And not too long ago, they came out for, with Find My Friends on the phone. I guess that's in case you lose your friends. And you know people know right where you're at if you turn that on. There's no secrets anymore. You can find what you're looking for. There's a way to find it. They've got something to find everything. In fact, you can Google just about anything. Need uh, high thread count uh, Winnie the Pooh sheets? Google it. I bet you can find some. If you're a farmer looking to date another farmer, they even got a website where you can find and date farmers only. <laughs> they got, by the way, congratulations to Brother Toby on his engagement. Can we give him a hand? <laughs> I don't think they use farmers only. <laughs> but they've got a way to find what you're looking for. And... It seems that all around us, people are looking for something. Searching things out every day, all day long. Searching things out. Seeking out products. Searching out information. And our world has made it easy to find what you're looking for. But it wasn't always that way. Can I get an amen from anybody my age and older? It wasn't always that easy. You see, I'm, I'm in the unique generation that we, my first cell phone was a flip phone in college. So I didn't grow up with the tech that these young kids today did. I'm, I'm the last of the old breed. I grew up when you had to spin a telephone rotary around. Oh, I hear you preaching with me now. <laughs> it wasn't always so easy. There was a day that you couldn't settle an argument with Google. You just had to argue about it and hope that you were right. There was a day that you couldn't settle the issue. You'd have to go to a bookshelf. In fact, there were people who made a living going door to door selling encyclopedias just so that people could settle an argument. It wasn't always easy to find what you're looking for. People made good money selling encyclopedias. Not only that, but, but finding things wasn't as easy back then. If you lost your car keys, you had to look for them. You had to go to all the places that you had been. You had to search out and seek out, did I set them here? You had to go to all of your usual spots. There was no GPS tag. There was no beep. You were on your own. You're going to look until you find and You know what everybody would say? Well, it was in the last place that I looked. Well, why would you keep looking? It was the last place that I, I, that I looked. We used to have to search things out and seek for them. I'm reminded of the lady in the Bible. She had to sweep the whole house to find one coin. 
These days, they, they don't even have coins because they got Bitcoin. You don't have to look for it. It's encrypted. It's on your computer. You can find anything you want to find today. But before Google and GPS, there was mom. Because mom could find anything. <laughs> and if mom couldn't find it, nobody could find it. Can I get an amen? I remember going to church and I didn't have shoes. I went to Sunday school wearing church socks because I lost my shoes somewhere in the house and mom couldn't even find them. And so I said, well, mom, what do I do? Can I wear my tennis shoes? She said, you're not wearing your 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 uh, play shoes to church. You'll wear church socks. So I show up to church because mom couldn't even find my shoes. And everybody said, what's going on, man? Why don't you have shoes? I said, mom couldn't find my shoes. They were blown away. Mom couldn't find your shoes. Moms can find anything. When you didn't know where to look, mom knew right where to look. You went and looked in your room, searching and seeking and tearing things up. And you came back, I can't find it, mom. Mom walks in and two seconds later, she found it. You don't want to know why? She knew right where to look. She knew right where to go for the answer. I heard one comedian during the search for Bin Laden quip that we needed to get some moms on the search team. Because it was taking too long to find Bin Laden. And if anybody could find Bin Laden, it would have been a mom. And I don't know if that lady who found him was a mom or not, but I'm guessing she probably was. Or the instincts were working strong within her. Mom can find anything because mom knows where to look. She knows the order of the household. She knows your tendencies. And so mom could find it when you couldn't because mom, somebody say she knew where to look. When you are searching and seeking something, there is a great advantage and value in knowing where to look. I I was listening to a podcast the other day and I heard this story. There was a a shipping uh, facility that that shipped out packages like a UPS type facility. And uh, it it just shut down. Uh, Production came to a grinding halt. All of a sudden, all the machines stopped working. Everything stopped. And frantically, uh, the, the manager of the facility began to look around trying to figure out how uh, to fix the problem. And they had spent several hours and they didn't know what to do. So finally, they picked up the phone and they called a, a, a technician who specialized in their type of equipment. And they called him in and it took them several hours to be there. And after eight or ten hours of, of production being down... And progress being halted, this, this guy walks in with a flashlight and he, he searches around a little bit. He walks around for ten minutes, checks a few switches, and finally he walks over to one box and he, he kneels down and he gets out a screwdriver and he tightens up a screw. And when he tightens the screw, everything comes back to life and starts humming again and production is back in force. And, and the manager was so thankful, he said, man, thank you. Thank you. You saved us. Our jobs were in jeopardy. We don't know what to do. We didn't know where to turn. Thank you for fixing it. Please, just just write us a bill and we'll get you paid. And so the man got out a piece of paper and he wrote, Getting factory running again, $10,000. And the guy was like, $10,000? All you did was look around a little bit and turn one screw. He said, I can't take that to my boss. I need an itemized receipt justifying why you're asking for $10,000. And here's what he did. He took the piece of paper back and he scratched out $10,000. And he wrote, turning a screw, $1, knowing which screw to turn, $9,999. Because I'm here to tell you that when you're in trouble, it helps to know where to look. 
You've got to know the right places to go and where not to go. You've got to know where you can turn in the time of need and in the time of trouble. And I've come to preach to someone today that when you are facing the low points in your life, you've got to know where to look. Rowan, my nine-year-old boy, loves to ask questions. His favorite thing to tell me when I don't know the answer to one of his questions is, just search it up, Dad. Just, just search it up. He does, that's what he calls Googling. Search it up. Just search it up, Dad. He recognizes that when I don't have the answers, I have a place that I can go to get the information that he desires. And he knows that when I don't know the answer, I know where to look for it. We need people in this day and age that know where to go when we don't have the answers. When we don't know what to do. When we don't know what we're facing. When we're marching off of the map and we're facing stuff we never thought we would face. Somebody needs to know how to search it up. How to seek it out. How to find it. I'm convinced that our world is constantly looking for answers. And there is no greater value than knowing where to look. The secret to seeking and finding is learning to look in the right place. Our world is in moral chaos, searching for answers and meaning to it all. And there is a generation of young people who are wondering the why of it all. Our society is at a spiritual crossroads, caught between the pulling forces of historic Christianity and secular amoral thinking. They are looking for answers that Google cannot conjure. They are asking, why am I here? Is there more to this life? Is there a God? And if a God exists, does He even care? They are grappling with the issues of the soul, looking for an answer to the emptiness that sin brings. And I'm here to tell you that in this day and hour that is churning out questions, there is nothing of greater value than knowing where to go when trouble hits. Knowing where to go with all of your questions and your troubles. Allow me to set the scene of our biblical text for a moment. And I'll only preach to you for a few minutes. In Jeremiah 29, the young prophet Jeremiah was speaking to the nation of Israel. Though they were the people of God, they found themselves living in Babylon, a foreign nation that had conquered them. And the people of God living there were caught in the crossfire of competing messages. They were sent there and ordained to be there by the will and the word of God. But they were caught in this crossfire of competing messages. There was a group of preachers and prophets telling them that God would deliver them, that that God would soon change their circumstances. They were proclaiming victory and blessings. And the only problem was they hadn't heard from God. And so here they were saying, it's just going to be a little time and God is going to release Israel from Babylon. They were feel good preachers. They were telling people exactly what they wanted to hear. And I want to say that just like in their day, there's no shortage of those kind of preachers in our day, too. Israel was responding to the message in the competing crossfire of messages. They were attaching their hope to these preachers who were telling them what they wanted to hear. Telling them what they felt like hearing. What they wanted to believe. And the Bible says that in the midst of it, uh, they were proclaiming victory and blessings, though they had not heard from God. Then comes Jeremiah, the young weeping prophet who had heard from God. And God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, they're not getting out of this so easy. This was not something that God is going to fix for them. They're not getting out of it. They're going to have to go through it. 
And God speaks to Jeremiah and Jeremiah pins this letter in Jeremiah 29 to Israel that God told him that God's people would spend 70 years in Babylon. One year for every Sabbath year that they had violated. Let me tell you something. There's some things that you get yourself into that God isn't ready to take you out of. And they were looking for the exit ramp, looking for the first door out of the trouble, out of the low place. But God said... You're going to live here. You're going to stay here for 70 years. In Babylon, they found themselves living in a culture that was far from God that had no, that they had known and served. Far from the miracles of Moses' time. Far from the victories of King David. They were defeated captives living at a low place in God's plan. At a low point in God's timeline. They were human They were hurting, and no doubt they were searching for answers. God, how could you let me go through this? God, if we're your people, how could you put us here? Anybody ever ask that question? God, if you're really on my side, why does it feel the way that it feels? Why am I facing what I'm facing? And interestingly, in the first part of the chapter, Jeremiah wrote to them, and he said this in verse 4, Jeremiah 29, 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what God says, verse 5. He said, build a house. Build you houses. And live in them. Plant some gardens. And eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So that you can have grandchildren. Multiply there and do not decrease. They were looking for a way out. But God was not taking them out. He was preparing them to go through. God said, build houses, plant gardens, raise a family. Settle in for the long haul because things are not going to change as quickly as you would like them. Does God have a plan for them? Yes. But he says, you don't need to try to get out of this one, Israel. Israel, you've got to live through some things. Israel, you've got to go through some stuff. And this time, you don't get the exit ramp. You just get the sustaining grace and power of God so that you can flourish in a place where you're being held captive. So that you can come out stronger than you went in. So that you can come out in greater number than you win. And he said, I want you to multiply in the middle of your mess. I want you to come out bigger and better than when you went in. God was saying to his people, don't listen to the false prophets that give you false hope. They preach quick and easy salvation, but the Lord said, I know the plans that I have for you. And though they are not a quick fix, they are plans to prosper you and to bring you again to Jerusalem. Yes, I'm going to answer your prayer. Yes, I'm going to uh, deliver everything that I promised to you. Yes, I'm going to accomplish all my word that I've spoken. But he said, I know the plans. They don't know the plans, but I know the plan. I know what I've prepared for you. I know my intentions towards you. And they are thoughts of peace and not of evil. God was saying to his people, you must live in this world. 
But you must not look to this world. You must survive and increase in this world. But you can't get so distracted with the low points of your living for God that you bail out on what God is doing. That you bail out on what God has promised and what God has planned. And he's saying that though we must live in this world, our hope cannot be in this world. Our hope cannot rest in political climate and condition. Our hope cannot rest in the answers that this society and that this world that God has placed us in will bring. God said, I want you to live there. I want you to build there. I want you to increase there. I want you to marry there. I want you to settle in there. And I want you to come out with everything that you can come out with when you come out. But you've got to multiply in the middle of your low place. See, our hope, our answers aren't in this world. And our future doesn't rest in the hands of Babylon. God's will doesn't always take you out of the issues that are surrounding you. But He always, somebody say always. He always makes a way through. He doesn't always pluck you out. But He always makes a way through. He was telling Israel that you can... You can do better than you think you can do right where you are. And I'm preaching to somebody today that's been praying, God, put a stop to it. And God is saying, I'm not going to stop it. It's a part of the plan. It's a part of the process. I'm not going to stop it. So you've got to learn to thrive here. You've got to learn to dig down and get some faith here. You've got to learn to praise here. You've got to learn to worship here. You've got to learn to come out better than when you came in. God says, you can, you can increase. I want you to multiply and increase when you're living through a low place. Some of you are looking at me confused. Did I forget to mention that there will be low places living for God? <laughs> it's funny that I saw a little thing the other day where, where Paul was haunting a prosperity preacher, a little cartoon where he's talking about that God's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And Paul is whispering to the man while he's sleeping, I wrote that from prison. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me disinvolve ourselves of the notion that living for God is some kind of cakewalk where God just continually pours out blessings and you just open your wallet and the hundred dollar bills rain down from heaven. That's not what living for God is all about. He's got a plan for you. He's got a promise for you. He's got a purpose for you. But there is a process to the purpose and the plan of God was not to pull Israel out, not to deliver them from the discomfort of the process, but He said, you've got to learn to live here because if you can multiply here, what can you do when you go back to Jerusalem? What will you be when you come out and you get everything back that I've promised you? Geographically, the nation of Babylon was in the plains. There's a stark contrast to the hill country around Jerusalem. Both geographically and spiritually, it was a low place for the people of Israel. It was in Babylon that Scripture tells us that they were asked, How can we sing the songs of Zion in such a strange and weary land? The Babylonians wanted to hear their songs of praise. And they said, We don't even know how to sing that here. 
We, we don't, how, how are we going to praise God when we're in the middle of this lowland? How are we going to look at our landscape? Look at what we're going through. Look at what happened to our temple. How do we sing the praises of God here? It was in Babylon that they struggled to sing their praise. They struggled to maintain their identity. The Bible says when it was time to come out, they could scarcely be recognized among the Babylonians as the people of God. They struggled with their praise there. They struggled with their identity there. They struggled with who they were and whose they were there. If we are not careful, let me preach to somebody for a minute. The landscape of our life can begin to speak to us about our standing with God. And if we are not careful, we will begin to believe what we see more than what he said. If we are not careful, we'll begin to lose ourselves in our surroundings and in the the culture that we live in. We'll begin to lose ourselves in the rat race of careers and of family and of activities and of, of, of all the things we spend our time doing. But we must not let the landscape dictate to us where we're looking Living in low places can impact how you see your story. These people who had a rich history with God begin to say, we don't know how to praise here. God, I don't even know if you're on my side here. I don't know if you're with me. God, I don't know if you're for me. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that he searched out all things under the sun looking for answers. Solomon said, I gave my heart to know and to search out and to seek out by wisdom all things that are done under the sun. That's what he says. Ecclesiastes 1.13, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And listen to his conclusion. When he's looking at all things done under heaven, this is what he says. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He said, I looked in everything under the sun and I could find no happy thing. He said, I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and is chasing after the wind, striving after the wind. Here's what Solomon did. Solomon began to look at the landscape under the sun. Somebody say under the sun. He began to look under the sun. And the Bible says that after he sought and searched out the answers under the sun, his conclusion was this. Life is pointless and life is meaningless. There is no purpose. There is no happiness. There is no hope. There is no help. Anybody depressed yet? That's what Solomon discovered. Wiser than David. But a sadder story is being told. Solomon's words are like a gut punch to the soul. He says, I use wisdom to search out everything under the sun. And my conclusion is that life is unhappy. And everything done under the sun is empty. And it's like chasing the wind. Solomon was wise. But his problem was that he was looking in the wrong place. Over and over and over throughout the book of Ecclesiastes... He writes about searching out the things under the sun. He said, I sought everything out under the sun. We know the book of Ecclesiastes, many of us do. The Bible says he tried to look in wine and drinking and merriment. And he ended up empty. 
He tried to look in wisdom and education and, and within the halls of scholarly thinking. And he came up empty. He looked in science and he looked in all of these different avenues. He gave himself to no pleasure, to know all the things that the Son of Man says that you should do. He said, I searched it all out under the sun. Everything. I gave my heart to seek everything under the sun. And I found out that it was all vanity and vexation. At the end of his search, he came up empty and found no answer. Why? Why, Solomon? It's because Solomon was looking in the wrong place. Have you ever wondered why people are so depressed today? Have you ever wondered why depression and anxiety are such a big problem in our society? This is going to sound way too simple. It's because people don't know where to look. People are looking to all sorts of things. There are people gathered in all sorts of places today, all across the world, putting their hope in a hobby, putting their life in a career, seeking out relationships and friendships, living like everybody else lives, just going through the low places of life, looking for answers, looking for something to help their family, looking for something that will make them feel whole. And they're coming up empty and pointless because they're looking in the wrong place. Solomon said, I couldn't find it. I looked everywhere under the sun. And I couldn't find it. And yet the Bible says David, his father, lived through war, through trouble. But, but listen to the tenor and the tone of the Psalms that David wrote. They're not depressing. David never says vanity and vexation. Because different, uh, David had a different perspective of life. David fought Goliath. David fought Saul. David fought Absalom. He never lived a minute without an enemy, without a struggle, without a trouble. But David's perspective was not on things that were under the sun. The Bible says that David wrote this. He says, when I consider the heavens and the works of thy hands, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Why did David see God reaching from heaven down to man and Solomon could see nothing good? It's because David knew where to look. David said, I'm not looking at this world. I'm not looking at what's surrounding me. I'm not looking at everything that's going on in my life. But when I lift up my eyes, I I look above the heavens and I can see that there is a God that loves me and cares for me. You've got to know where to look. You've got to know where to look when you're living in Babylon. I want want musicians to come. I'm, I'm coming to a close. I'm coming to a close. I didn't know this till yesterday, but Psalm 121 was written during the Babylonian exile. Psalm 121 is one of those that when I, when I begin to read it, you'll immediately recognize it. But these people were living in a land controlled by their enemy, facing all kinds of circumstances and challenges, the loss of their freedom, the loss of their temple, the loss of their identity. And they were struggling against the circumstance. But this one psalmist during the exile began to pin these words as he got a different vision 
than the low place offered. Listen to Psalm 121. He says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. And we read that as if it's a question, but it's really a question meant for emphasis. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Look, listen to this, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. It doesn't come in Babylon. It doesn't come from the low places. It doesn't come out of my circumstances. It doesn't come out of my surroundings. But he says, I lift up my eyes. I'm living in the low place, but I'm looking to the hills. I'm living down here, but my eyes are looking up there. I'm living down here in my mess, but I know a God who is above it all. And so though I'm living low, I'm looking high. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now listen to how his perspective changes. He says, I look to the Lord who made heaven and earth. For He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He hasn't quit on you. He hasn't given up on you. He will not let your foot be moved. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Somebody hear that in the low place. The Lord will keep you. You can't see that when you're looking low. You can't see that when your vision is dominated by what's down here. And you can't see what God is doing and what God has planned and what God has prepared. But if you lift up your eyes, all of a sudden the psalmist sees something different. He doesn't see captivity. He sees that God is keeping them. That God is directing them. That God is getting ready to restore them. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And the sun, the condition shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. For the Lord will keep you from all evil. And He will keep and preserve your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I want to preach to somebody who's living in some low stuff today. I want you to stand with me. I want to preach to somebody's heart today. You walked into this building discouraged. You walked into this building upset. God, how could you? Why am I here? Why is it not changing? I've come to preach to you as long as your vision is dominated by what is surrounding you. You won't be able to see how God is keeping you. How God's hand is on you. How God is protecting you. How God is leading you. But I've come to preach to someone today that if you'll lift up your eyes from the low place, 
Why are you so sad? Why are you struggling? Why is your faith weak? Why are you frustrated? I'll tell you why. It's because you've been looking at all of the wrong stuff. You've been looking at the landscape instead of lifting your eyes to the hills. The hills were where Jerusalem was. The hills was where they were going back to. And sometimes you've got to get your eyes off of where I am and get them on where I'm going. You've got to get your eyes off of what's happening now and get your eyes on the God who says, I won't even let the sun strike you. I won't let the moon strike you. I've got you in the palm of my hand. I'm preaching to somebody who's hurting today. Do you need to lift up your eyes? You've got to lift up your eyes. You can't look at what's surrounding you. It may look like you're surrounded. But the reality, there's a different spiritual reality when you look in the right place for the answers. Jesus says, if you seek me, you shall find me. Here's the problem. It's for 70 years, Israel was looking at Babylon. They were looking at politics. They were looking at the conditions of their day. They were looking for a hero to rise up from among the people. They were looking for all sorts of things. But God says this. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I know where I'm bringing you to. And listen, in the day when you turn all of your heart to me, he says, then you're going to search for me and then you're going to find me. The sooner that you stop hoping in something else, the sooner you're deliverance will come. The sooner that you stop believing in everything else and you put all of your hope in Jesus. He says, then, then, somebody say then, then will I restore. Then will I turn your captivity. Then I'll bring you out and fulfill all my word to you. When you seek for me and you search for me, with all. Somebody say all. All of your heart. He says, then you'll find me. Today you came here looking for answers. And I've come to tell you, it's not in all the stuff that's surrounding you. It's not in all the pursuits and the plans that you've made. But today, if you can take your eyes off of everything else. And run the race with patience. Laying aside every sin and the weight which does so easily beset us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He didn't just start your story, but he's the finisher. Today, as the musicians play and the singers sing, I want to open this altar up to somebody who's been struggling in your faith. I want to open these altars for somebody to walk down and raise their hands and say, God, I've been distracted by what's going on around me. God, I've been, I've been blinded by my circumstances. But today, God, I'm looking to you. Today, I'm looking to you. Come on. I want to open these altars right now.